our series in Mark. <clears throat> we uh, had some energetic girls on the front row tonight. You all saw that. They had too much chocolate or something today. But um, I'm trusting they were praising God just with all their hearts and getting into it. Just uh, <laughs> charismatics is what they are tonight. We'll call them that. Pentecostals this evening. But, but uh, anyhow, enjoy hearing these kids sing. Wasn't that a beautiful sight this morning? All those little ones and their moms and dads and families across this platform. And praise God for, for, for life. Yesterday was the walk for life, and, and uh, what a crowd. Uh, many, some of you all were there, and, and uh, a great turnout, uh, beautiful location. God just gave, it rained before, uh, well, the night before, really rained, and then uh, had beautiful weather for the event, and then last night it rained again, and so we just thank God for all of that and uh, for how he worked in that, and then what a, what a sight this morning. Mark chapter 5 is uh, where we, um, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6 is where we are uh, tonight, Mark chapter 6. And uh, before we continue on in Mark 6, let me just quickly give a little review and mention tonight, I don't have my slides tonight, I apologize for that, uh, no slides. But um, in chapter 5 of Mark, we found three individuals, and we found them all eventually at the feet of Jesus. We find them there um, receiving some amazing things from Christ. We find that Jesus has the power over demons. He has power over disease. And then we find out he even has power over death itself in chapter 5. A demon-possessed man, a woman with an infirmity, 12 years, no one could help her. And then a little girl who even had died. And Jesus raised her again, <clears throat> all in Mark chapter 5. What a Savior, what a uh, Redeemer, what a God-man, this Jesus Christ. The Gospels are the story of Jesus. There's four of them. We talked about this in teen class this morning. Uh, three of them called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then there's John. And you can compare and harmonize these Gospels and get the whole story and the whole picture. Mark is the one that we are in and how... So many, uh, quickly, so many things come up, and Mark's just, it seems he's a man of action, and it's going fast here. But here is Jesus, and how could he do such great things? Well, he's God. But we find that he's doing these amazing miracles because of people's faith. And we see that that's true in the things that Jesus says, in the, in the way that he says it, and then in the fact that in chapter 6, we saw last week that as he went to Nazareth, his own hometown, that he could there do no mighty work. Why? What limited the Savior? What limited the God-man? The disciples have been with him, the twelve, all of this time, and they've seen him do things that, you know, they've never seen this, this before. People would say that. We've never seen anything like this before. We've never heard anything like this before. And the power, and they saw things up close that no one else saw. As he speaks to storms and they stop. And then yet he goes to Nazareth in chapter 6. And he could there do no mighty work. Why? Verse 6. He marveled because of their what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Oh, the power of God through people who are full of faith. 
And faith is nothing but simple, childlike trust in God. Faith that grows through circumstances, through the, the trials of life. Faith that's exercised. You know, you can see a piece of exercise equipment over against the wall, and you can say, that exercise equipment can make me stronger. It can really help me. But it's not going to do a thing for you unless you put it to work, unless you exercise it. And that's why we talk about exercising faith. It grows our faith. And yet, the disaster of a group of people or of a family or of a nation or of a church who, have, who are unbeliever, who simply do not believe, not really believe, in this Jesus and His power and what He's doing and His working. The contrast there is pretty amazing, isn't it? Faith, belief, and unbelief in chapter 6, 1 through 6. Well, let's begin with verse 7 and pick up our account here. After these mighty works of faith, and then after in Nazareth, Jesus not able to do any mighty work except heal a few sick folk because of their unbelief. Then in verse 7, Jesus calls unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, in what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whatsoever shall not, I'm sorry, whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out in obedience, and they preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils, and anointed with oil many that were sick, and healed them. And King Herod himself heard of him, that is Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show themselves in him. Others said this is Elias or Elijah, and others said that it is a prophet or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, no, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. We'll stop there for now. What's going on here? You've heard this story, most of you. Well, okay, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples here. These disciples suddenly have become apostles. Now, have you ever gotten those two words mixed up? What are they? Disciples or apostles? Are they 12 disciples or are they 12 apostles? Well, now they're both. What's the difference? A disciple is a pupil. A disciple is a learner. When we talk about discipling someone, that is someone that we would take under our wing and we would teach them, we would train them. As when a father takes a son and begins to show that son how to mow the grass or how to do this or that, he's, in a sense, discipling that son. When a teacher takes a child and teaches, they're, in a sense, discipling. They're a pupil. They're learning. And so we have the 12 disciples. But here in chapter um, 6, verse 7, these 12 disciples are now made 12 apostles. An apostle is a delegate, a messenger, one that is sent. You know, you don't stay a disciple forever, do you? 
Well, we're always learning. So maybe in that sense, you do stay a disciple. But there comes a point where the milk becomes meat and we grow. That's, that's what God wants, right? And God wants to take us and send us out into this world. He wants to take us and send us into our families, into our workplaces, into our communities, and be his messengers, in a sense, be apostles for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's going on here. And this is the first apostolic mission that has taken place. Up until now, it's only Jesus and John the Baptist. Now we see, and we're not going to talk about that part, we're going to actually skip over that tonight. We may get back to that or we may not. There's an interjection here, verse 17 through 29, the story of John the Baptist and what happened to him, and and we have that account here in chapter 6. But there was Jesus mainly who was himself going about teaching, doing good, working miracles. Jesus, of course, in this mystery none of us can fully understand, but he had humbled himself. He is God. He was God then, but the God-man And yet he humbles himself and he limits himself. And he is working, but he's in one place at one time, working with certain people. And now he's going to expand his ministry. Now he's going to send out these others. And they're going to go out and they're going to proclaim, as it says here, the same message and do the same kind of miracles in the areas around. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He sends them out to say and do what he has been doing. They have been with him. They've been seeing his mighty power. They've been hearing his amazing words of wisdom like no man ever spoke before. They also had saw his lack of power in the face of unbelief. And now they are to go out, and this is important, in his name, with his power, with his message, And give the message to this expanded area. And this is how we also must go. If we go out in our power, in our name, there's nothing that's going to happen of eternal value. We could whip a few people up if we know how to do it. But that's not the Holy Spirit. We want the power of God. Verses 30 and 31, or especially verse 30, we'll get to in a little bit. Well, let's read it. Verse 30 is a report that the disciples gave. So jump over. We're passing the story here of Herod and the... Um, beheading of John the Baptist and carrying on with this thought of the disciples and the apostles going out. Verse 30, they come back after a certain amount of time and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And that's it. Very brief. The, the other accounts in the scriptures in the gospel, they're brief as well. We're not given a whole lot of detail. I wonder what happened. All, can you imagine the stories that they had? After this experience, after going out, and and you can even sense the excitement here as they're telling Jesus what had taken place. Now, let's back up for just a second and go back over to where Jesus tells them to go. These disciples now made apostles. Now, I want you to take this in for a minute. Again, put yourself here. Think about now the faith that these men had to have in order to do what Jesus is now telling them to do. Okay, he tells them in verse uh, uh, 7 to go out two by two, and he's going to give them power over unclean spirits. Take that in for a minute. What have they seen with their own eyes? The things that they've experienced. Now, he then commands them, verse 8, that they should take nothing for their journey. 
Save a staff only. So pick up your stick. <laughs> Go out with your staff. No scrip. Now a scrip, I looked it up, that's a bag for food or money, kind of like a lunch pail or, or maybe a wallet or something you would keep your stuff in, keep your money in. Don't take it. No bread. Now I find it interesting in the next three chapters how much is talked about bread and eating. It goes on and on. You can study that on your own. We won't have time to get all that tonight. But bread. But he told them, don't take food. Don't take a bag with stuff in it. And know what? Don't take your credit card. Don't take your money. Don't go by the ATM machine. In their purse. And be shod with sandals. Put your sandals on. So pick up your stick. Close on your back. Put on your sandals. And don't even put on two coats. One coat. Isn't that something? And go and do what I tell you. And he said unto them, you stay with whoever will take you in. Whatsoever place you enter into the house there, abide until you, you depart. And then he gives that warning about those that will not receive them. And verse 12, they go out. They obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. They obey. They go. They do what he says. And they preach that men should repent. Now if we go to the Gospel of Matthew, there's more detail. Matthew tells us they're preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message Jesus has been preaching. Repent, the kingdom is here, is at hand. And they cast out, look at verse 13, many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Wouldn't you love to have been there when, I don't know, Bartholomew, for the first time, stood in front of a man with a demon in him? What's he going to do? Can you think of the, the recognition that in himself he has nothing? What am I going to do? Here's a man with a demon. But Jesus had given the command, and apparently Bartholomew or whoever, Philip, Nathaniel, believed and had faith, and in the name of Jesus Christ and in his power, told the demon to get out of the man. And guess what? They cast out many devils and anointed many with oil that were sick and healed them. They were healed. Isn't that something? The power of God through these weak men in Jesus' name, in Jesus' power, not in their own. What an example for us um, to go out, not in our own name, not in our own power, but to proclaim the name of the King, to keep showing people, to keep showing them with our lives and showing them with our mouth the power of Jesus Christ and the power he can have in their life by faith. Well, that's what takes place. This is what we all need, by the way. This is the message that we need. Again, Matthew 9 gives more detail if you want to read that sometime about this, this event. Jesus Christ, it says in, uh, in our passage down in verse 34, how Jesus sees many people and he has compassion. Again, I'm, for sake of time, I'm not going to go to Matthew. But if you read in Matthew, in the context of all of this, it speaks of how Jesus is moved with compassion on all these people. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Every man's doing what is right in his own eyes. There's no, nobody there to show them the way. And here's a king, a shepherd, the shepherd king, who has come, and he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. He's everything that they needed, and he's everything that we need. 
And there's no true central authority for these people based in love, based in righteousness. Aren't we all like sheep, having gone astray, turned every man to his own way? Aren't you glad the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? We're like sheep without a shepherd, individually, as families in our nation. And apart from Christ and apart from His Word, we have no foundation, we have no standard, nothing to really live by but our own personal feelings and convictions, full of iniquity, the wrath of God stored up against us. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And now we come to Him and we take of the bread of life and the water of life. And now the sheep have a shepherd and a king and a ruler and a master and a Lord over their lives, over their families, over their children, over their nation, over their churches. And we follow Him. And He says, my sheep hear my voice and they hear it and they know me. And I know them. Isn't that a wonderful thing? this Savior that we have. This is the message throughout the Bible. Jesus brings, brings stability. Jesus brings purpose for life. We are no longer sheep without a shepherd. So he sends them out. They come back. They report. They, they went by faith, taking the bare minimum. They're trusting the Lord to provide for them. They would go out, not only trusting the Lord for food and clothing and shelter, but also for power. They had no power to do these things on their own. Apply this to your own life tonight, trusting Him for power. This is true in our homes, isn't it? I think of the people again this morning standing across this platform, you folks that were here. And you know, isn't it still true that unless, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You can have all the right methods, you can buy all the books and have all the seven, eight, nine steps to successful whatever. But if it's just in your own power, it's going to fall. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep watch. We stay up all night worrying for nothing. The Lord must build the house. The Lord must build the church. The Lord must build the nation. It's in His power. So they report um, to Jesus Christ in verse 30. Did it have any effect at all? Well, we saw what happened to Herod in verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. I believe that ties into the story there. His name continues to be spread abroad. It continues to grow. And even the king himself hears of what's going on. And if you read that, you find out that here's the king himself on the throne, Herod, full of fear when he hears of this Jesus. Now, he doesn't know what's going on. But he knows he's guilty. And boy, is he guilty. Boy, is he the incarnation of sin itself in our story. And yet he's fearing the power of Jesus Christ. Now, let's move forward here tonight. That's the account of these men, these disciples. And keep that in mind. These 12 and, and, and the faith that they had and the power of God and what the Lord Jesus did because of their faith. We're continuing on with that thinking through this. So they report in verse 30, and here's what Jesus says in verse 31. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. 
That word uh, desert place can also mean desolate or solitary or a wilderness. Jesus tells them, let's now go into a solitary wilderness place and let's rest a while. Very busy, constantly working, and so busy that the account says they could hardly have time to sit down and get something to eat. Because there was so much work going on, so many people being ministered to, so much teaching Jesus was doing constantly, constantly, constantly. Well, you were going to find out they didn't get much rest, at least not according to this account. Maybe some time interlapped here. We don't know all the details. Again, if you compare the Gospels, the harmony of them, you can get a, a little bit better picture. But let's keep reading. They departed into a desert place, verse 32, by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them. And here we are again, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent... His disciples came unto him and said, Lord, this is a desert, solitary, wilderness place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, Lord, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So the disciples believe this is getting dangerous. It's getting to be dark. They've walked a long way. Maybe some of these folks were elderly, but they said, Lord, they need to be sent on home so that they can find something to eat. They have nothing to eat. Verse 37, And he answered and said unto them, You give them something to eat. What? He's training them. He's training them. Give them, you give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Now I looked that up, and if I'm right, if Google's right, that's a little less than $3 in American dollars. $2 and 80 some cents. Now, back then, that would have been more money than it is today, of course. Maybe that's all they had on them. I don't know. But is that going to even buy enough bread to give all these people to eat? And he saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? And go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. Now, these are little loaves of bread a little boy was carrying. His mama had made him, probably, in a little stone brick fire oven. That's it. Five loaves of bread and two fishes. And he commanded them to make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. So the disciples get busy. Not much rest going on here, right? And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And I love verse 42. And they did all eat and were filled. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. He's the only thing that really fills, fulfills Jesus Christ. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. We could be talking about 10, 15,000 or more people in the, at this event when you include women and children, of course. Now, think about this for just a minute. Again, they're busy. Jesus has told them to take these people 
and divide them up between 50s and 100. And so they go out into this crowd. Can you picture 5,000, picture 5, 10,000 people? And they begin to gather them. This is going to take some time. And they gather them into groups of 50. 50 men in your family sit right here in this area. Okay. Next, 100 over here. Maybe it's a larger area of grass. 50 over here. While they're doing that, Jesus takes those, that bread and that fish and he holds it up to heaven and he blesses it. I believe he did that before everybody. And as they're out there, he begins to come over here and break bread off. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All the way up to 50 in a basket. Takes a piece of fish, breaks, breaks, breaks. In the basket. No soundtrack in the background. No flash from heaven. No, nothing on the screen. It's just happening, right? They're all busy. They're all working. They're all put 50s and 100s, 50s, getting this thing organized. Nathaniel, here's the first basket of 50. He takes it and he passes it out. Breaking bread, breaking bread, breaking fish, Jesus is. Tends to the next person. He goes and hands it out to the next people. It happens. They're all filled with food. Let's keep reading. Verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Now stay with me. I know Mark moves fast, but we're going to come back to, the, to this. He sends them across on a ship. After all this is done, Jesus sends the people away. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even or the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And I love verse 48, and he what? He saw them. He sent them. He told them to go out into the sea and go on over to Bethsaida. Jesus knows everything. He knew what they were going to be facing. But he sends them on, and he saw them what? Toiling in rowing. They had come upon a storm. Look what it says. For the wind was contrary unto them, and they're pushing trying to, in contrary wind, get that ship over where they're supposed to be in obedience to Jesus. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's about three o'clock in the morning, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Isn't that interesting? He'd have just walked right on by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit and cried out in fear. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately at that point, he talked with them and he said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. You know, hold your place here and turn back to chapter 5. In verse 36, we said chapter 5, verse 36 was probably the, the end of it, the key phrase for chapter 5. Jesus speaking to the ruler of the synagogue after he had healed the woman of her disease and the ruler of the synagogue had come and said, come help my daughter who's dying. Somebody comes to the ruler of the synagogue and says, too late. Don't bother the master anymore. She's dead. And Jesus looks over and says those words at the end of verse 36, be not, what, afraid, only, what, believe. 
Be not afraid. Only believe. And then over here, back to our passage in verse 50 of chapter 6. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. In these desperate situations, in these hard times, in these situations where it seemed like everything was impossible, Jesus says, only believe. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I. Faith. Now let's finish out this story. Verse 51. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Now look at verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the what? The loaves. For their heart was hardened. Now I have to be honest with you, when I first read that, I'm thinking, what does that have to do with this story? The Lord has pulled in the story of the loaves and the fishes to the story of their lack of faith on the water. What's going on here? Well, first of all, it says, for their heart was hardened. Really, the idea there is their mind, it wasn't like they had a hard heart against Jesus. Their mind was dulled. They weren't taking it all in like they should have been. They weren't understanding what was going on. And when we say that over and over again, boy, we can relate, can't we? <laughs> how, how slow it is for us to catch on. Jesus, what are you doing? Why don't, you ever look back on your life and you think, why didn't I have faith? Why didn't I have more faith? This, this is what's going on here, I believe. Because of the lack of discernment or remembrance in what Jesus Christ had previously done, they lacked faith in him in the present storm or the present distress. It says that they considered not the miracle of the loaves. It's almost as if Jesus is over there breaking that bread, breaking that fish, breaking that bread. They're just working. They're just out there doing it. They're just out there serving the Lord, serving the Lord day after day. You ever find yourself there? And not even realizing. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. Look at the power of Christ. Have you seen any Have you seen any miracles in your family? I, I don't know about you, but I sure tend to complain sometimes. How about you? Become unthankful, ingratitude. And I don't even stop to consider the great things God has done Amen. in my home, in my life, in my church, in my nation. God has done great things. And then a distress comes. A, a storm comes. And I'm full of fear. And I'm full of anxiety. <clears throat> Why? Because I've forgotten. Or I've not even considered it. Or, or I'm hard-hearted or dull to what he's been doing all along. All the prayers answered. All the things that I didn't even know about or see that maybe God will show me one day in heaven. Probably scare us all to death. The miracles of God. Has God provided bread for us? Have I, when's the last time we went without food so that we were literally almost starving to death? Just that one example. We could go down benefit after benefit after benefit. Because of a lack of discernment or remembrance in what Christ had previously done, they lacked faith in Him. 
in this present storm, distress. Their minds were dull to understanding. So who does your family belong to tonight? Who's Lord over your family tonight? Who's Lord over my home? Is it Christ? Well, if it is Christ, then no matter what may come, you know what you can hear the master say? Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Only believe. Remember his mighty works in the past. Trust him for the present and for the future. We had a theme in our church some years ago. Praise for the past, faith for the future. And that's the message of that. Praise for the past, remembering, not being dull of understanding, realizing that God keeps his promises. God is at work. He's always at work. He isn't leaving us, letting us astray. We sang that song a minute ago, how firm a foundation. I will not, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. I mean, the promises of God are real. They're true. And that ought to help us in the present situations and in the storms or the things that come ahead in the future. What about our church tonight? Who does your church belong to? Who's Lord over it? If it's Christ, then no matter what may come, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Only believe. Only believe. His works in the past, we could apply that to our business, we could apply that to our nation, we could apply that to anything in our life. Praise for the past gives us faith for the future. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you tonight for the encouragement of your word. The reminder, Lord, of the importance of faith. Faith that's exercised. And Lord, of the disaster of unbelief. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight to apply that into our own lives wherever we may need to apply it tonight. Lord, I thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for, we talked about so many blessings tonight that you give to us and the things that we could thank you for, food and shelter and so many things you provide. But Lord, we didn't even mention salvation. God, how you have given us forgiveness of sin. Lord, there's so much that we can be so grateful for. God, help us to learn from the disciples, from the apostles. Help us, O Lord, to be able to live by faith in this way, that no matter what the future may bring, we are standing strong upon that firm foundation, trusting in your promises in the fact, the Lord, that you've kept your promises all along and that you are a God of miracles and that you have a purpose for everything that you allow and everything that you do. Lord God, I pray, strengthen us tonight. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.